On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men burned Stephen and mourned him deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ was there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all of the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria hath accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them, and that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying of of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart was not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such thoughts in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for um, the fact that we get to gather together this morning. Thank you for the sunshine that's outside. Um, I pray that you would just bless our time together this morning um, and that you would just uh, be our hope, be our rest, and be our peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Delaney and music team. Great morning to you. That's, you know, it's morning. I'm not a morning guy. Uh, I'm, I'm an evening person more than that. So this is actually just the beginning of my day. So <laughs> it's not, but, but it feels that way sometimes. And maybe you're in that boat too. And uh, you start waking up usually after lunch or something. Um, but we'll try to get you having lunch earlier today so you can wake up now, I suppose. But it's good to have you here. And uh, it's great to be with you. My name is Todd. Uh, I have the privilege of uh, being a part of Emmanuel now for, oh my goodness, going on 10, 11 years, something like that. And uh, I get to be uh, part of a small group, which I love. Uh, there's a promo for small groups. If you're not a part of one, love to have you as a part of one. Uh, it really is part of the heartbeat of our church church family. And... Um, and it really is where we get to do life together, um, and we get to hang out together, and maybe that's some of our struggles. Maybe we like the one hour that we hang out here together, and that's it. That's all we got. 
But no, actually, God has created us to be together more. And in our small groups, we really get to understand how much fun it is. I actually had, this is a total aside, but I'm sorry. But I had one person in, in our small group say, Todd, we have such, and I forgive me, our small group, we have such a different small group. We're all so very different. <laughs> I said, absolutely we are. It's a miracle that we're together. But that's what God does. That's what God does. That's what church is. And so you might say it's a miracle to be with you, Todd. And I'm okay with that because it is. <laughs> My wife says that all the time. Um, Wow, she's not even here. Look at that. Oh, God bless my wife. Um, God is good. God is good. He's got so much for us. Uh, we've been working through the book of Acts. And today we're going to go to Acts chapter 8, which you had read for you just recently. Um, but So keep it there. And we're going to continue on. Today, I think every time we open up the Word of God... I always get, want to get one thing out of it. <laughs> There's always lots when we go to the Word of God, but I think God often says, you know, if you can just get one thing, what might that be? There's a movie, and maybe you're familiar with this movie. Anybody know what this movie is? So this will date me a little bit, might date you a little bit. Some of you may have no idea who these are. There are three guys, and they made up a movie. Any, anybody, can you tell me what this movie is? City Slickers. Thank you. So you're at least my age or have seen this. Um, so City Slickers, is, it's a comedy. It's a comedy movie, and it's about uh, three men, and they live in the city. Here we go. Um, but they want to deal with life. Because life comes our way, right? And it came their way. And each of them was trying to discover, and maybe you've gone through this, the meaning of life. So what's the meaning of life? Easy question to answer. Now, as they were doing this, the first gentleman, his name was Mitch, and he said he, he, he was frustrated at where he was in life. He was struggling in his marriage. He was struggling in his job. And he, he wanted a break and to figure life out. Second guy, he had a girlfriend, and she was pressuring him to marry him, and, uh, which is an uncommon pressure in life. And, and, and so he wanted to figure out, is this the woman for me? Do I want to go with this? Do I want to forget my life of singleness now? And we're going to be together forever, at least on this earth. The third guy, he said, you know what? I'm just trying to figure out life and next steps, <laughs> just in general. So each of these three city dwellers decided to look for answers uh, for their lives by being part of something called a cattle drive. Now, thank you. Uh, this is... I don't know if that would be the thing I would choose to figure out life, but they did, and they made a movie about it. And so these three gentlemen with others went and to, take, and, and to uh, get on horses, most of them had never ridden, ridden horses before, and supervise a cattle drive from one part of the country to another part of the country. And this might teach them something about life. So in one scene near the end, comes up this. This guy's name is Curly, and Curly's the gritty cowboy that's leading everybody across the country and leading this group. And he's been teaching these three men all about life and about how to move cattle and those things. And, and him and city slicker Mitch, the guy who's wrestling with family and wrestling with his job and his career, they uh, come together and they go off on an area, uh, just the two of them, uh, to find a cow 
uh, that had wandered off. And they ensued this conversation. And this is what they said. Mitch says this. Your life seems to make sense to you, doesn't it, Curly? Curly's response, do you know, or, uh, Curly, do you know what the secret of life is? Mitch, like many of us, says, no. What is it? Curly puts his index finger up and he says, it's this. It's one thing. Just one thing. You stick to that and every, everything else doesn't matter. One thing. So Mitch says, that's great. Of course, you know what he's going to ask now. What's that one thing? <laughs> Tell me that one thing. What do you think Curly said? Do you guys remember what Curly said? What would Curly say? What would you say? What would you say that one thing would be that makes sense to all of life? So he said, Mitch said, Curly, what is it? And this is Curly's answer. This is what you have to figure out. <laughs> and this is what you have to stick to. Ah! I encourage you to watch the movie to see what the rest and how he plays it out. <laughs> one thing. What is that one thing? You know, by the end of the movie, Mitch helps get the cattle where they need to be. And he act actually delivers a baby calf along the process and discovers, I would say, which was influential for him, what life is all about when you see this baby being born. Anybody remember what the name of the, the, the cow is that was born? Norman. You know what he does with Norman? He brings Norman home to his family, <laughs> to the city. Because <laughs> he's bringing life home. Because life matters to him. Life for him is what joy was about. Life was that one thing that he had forgotten about. How precious it was. And now they get to see it every day in Norman, who's going to grow big, and they're in a condo. And Anyways, they, they, I don't know if they had, a, yeah, they had a second one. I'll leave that for you, too. <laughs> From the book of Acts, the early church, and God himself, what's that one thing that God wants us to know? What's God's one thing? You ever think of it this way? Maybe just simply for today, what is he going to say in Acts chapter 8 that's that one thing? So when we go home, we got one thing. I think it's simply this. Fear the gospel. You get anything out of today's passage. God wants us to know to fear the gospel. Fear the good news. Fear, in, in the Bible, the term is, is often used in two different ways. One is to be afraid of. So God is saying, be afraid of the good news of Jesus Christ. It breaks through everything. There is nothing greater. There is nothing more important that you could share. There is nothing more important to your heart than the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ. But to be afraid also, to be fearful also means to be in awe of. In other words, when you're in awe of something, nothing else matters. When you're in awe of your wife on your wedding day because she is so beautiful or, or he is so handsome, nothing else matters. You don't see anybody else. All you see is that person. He says, when you see the good news, when you understand the good news, when you really deepen this understanding of who Jesus is and what he says you are to him, nothing else will matter. So fear the gospel. Fear the gospel.
So why? <laughs> why should we be in awe? Let me ask you this. Are we in awe of other things more than we are of Jesus Christ today? We all came with situations on our hearts, on our heads. Maybe it's illness. Maybe it's what's in front of you. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's, I don't know, it could be anything. <laughs> maybe you're looking for your passport. <laughs> and just turn on the news. There's lots of reasons to get fearful. Are we in awe of those things? Or as believers, as lovers of Jesus, as dearly loved by Jesus, are we more in awe of Jesus and his message that I will care for you? We should be more in awe of the gospel, and here's why. I'm a results guy. What are the results here in this passage? There's lots of them. I'm going to give you a list here on your screen, and maybe go through them really quickly here. I love results. Results means that something's happened. Something's going on. And he says this, what, this is what can happen when the gospel is feared, when we choose to be in awe of Jesus Christ and his message more above anything else, when we choose to accept and believe and follow the good news more than anything or anyone else. This is what could possibly happen. And the first thing is this, Stephen gave his life for it. The gospel, and you guys listened to this last week with Pastor Kyle, and Kyle mentioned the character of Stephen and who he was and the grace he had. And the fearlessness he had. And how it came from the message that he preached. And look back in chapter 6 and 7 to give you an idea of the message that he had. And what the gospel was for Stephen. Because in the beginning of chapter 8, he loses his life. When we fear the gospel, we are not afraid to give our life to the gospel. We are not afraid to lose our life. As scripture says, as Jesus said, when you lose your life for me, you will what? You'll find it. There is something about the gospel that allows you to not be afraid of dying, not be afraid of losing your life. Result number two, Saul persecuted others for it in verse three. Saul, who's later known as Paul, and we're going to look when we get to chapter uh, nine and beyond, um, this, this Saul guy turning to Paul guy, how God grabs his life. But what's interesting here is it says he actually persecuted. He went door to door, pulled out the men and the women, and I'm sure the kids were a part of it, and he persecuted them. Some ended up dying. Some went to prison. But he went intentionally through the city of Jerusalem, taking everybody out who went to what? Who feared the gospel, who loved Jesus. So what does this say? This says that the gospel is divisive, <laughs> that people want to get rid of it because it works. Because it's so valuable. Because it changes the way culture is. Saul wanted that. Fear the gospel. He was afraid of the gospel in a different way. Also says here, believers shared it wherever they went. I love this verse. Verse 4 here. It, 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 it's interesting. It, it says, the believers left. But the, 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 big, the big individuals, the ones who were back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the, 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 the apostles, they stayed. <laughs> it actually tells us that. And I'm like, why would you tell us that? Because we matter. The gospel says we matter. It wasn't the big names that went and shared the gospel here at first. They are at the end of this passage. It was us. Do you catch this? 
It's the, the regular people that go to work every day, the, 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 the guy and the girl that work at McDonald's, the ones that pump gas. It's, it's us. The gospel works through us. When we speak the gospel, and it gives an example of Philip here, when we share the gospel, God moves. <laughs> it, but it's through us. It's through us as a 10-year-old, a 5-year-old sharing. It's us in, in any of our job situations. It's me as a teen. I'm not a teen, and I've been a teen for many years, and I'll never go back there. Thank, thank goodness for that. But, um, and it probably wasn't the easiest teen. But it's you. Fear the gospel. It was sent through normal, everyday people with heartaches and challenges and pain and insecurities and fearfulness. It's us. That's the great news of God. It's, it's, it's you and I together. Don't limit who you are in the sight of God. They're the ones that says went everywhere and shared it. It actually uses the word scattered. It's like throwing seeds out. <laughs> and, and wherever it went, God went. And the gospel went. I could go on that for a long time. Verse 5 talks about sharing with new cultures. They went to Samaria. This is awesome. It wasn't just in Jerusalem anymore. Do you remember God's words? Do you remember Jesus' words in the beginning of Acts chapter 1? We're following the book of Acts is, is, is to walk through the gospel from, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says, I'm going to be in Jerusalem and wait for me when the Holy Spirit comes and, and my message will be in Jerusalem to all you here. And we've been studying that for the last five chapters. It's been awesome. And then he says what? Then it's going to go where? To Judea? So a little more than to Samaria. Oh, where are we? Where's, where's, where are we in chapter 8? We're in Samaria. We're in Samaria. The gospel moves. God finishes his plan. Chapter 10 talks about the Gentiles, and we're going to go beyond that, and we're going to make it to Rome. So at that time, it was the then known world. This, God's word is alive and well and moves on. Fear the gospel. What God says comes true. And here they are. It shares with new cultures as well. Um, oh, I'm so grateful for this. It wasn't just with Jews. These are, these are Samaritans. They're called half-Jews. And, and back in about 722 B.C., something like that, Assyria came in and took out Israel and took Israel back to Assyria. And what happened was, is, which is, was very common in, in the day, when, when a, a city destroys another one, they, they do is they repopulate with you, with them. <laughs> and they intermarry. And so, so you have this togetherness. So they're not going to rebel because now they're family. Well, family may rebel. But they're not, together, you know, they're, they're bringing this unity together. And he says, I, I, I got you now. Na, na, na. And this is, so this is what happened. This is, they became Samaritans. So they were part Jews and part something else. And God says, you know what? The Jews, they matter to me. The Old Testament is full of this kind of language. So much to me. But you know who else matters? People who are partly Jew but not partly Jew. And then you know who will matter in, in, in chapter 10? Everyone else, be thankful for this, folks. I don't know how many of you here are Jewish. <laughs> We're included in that. Fear the gospel. That's us. We're in there. 
shared with new cultures, but he also said, share it with everyone, men and women, verse 12 and 13. Interesting characters. We got, we got Philip here. We got this guy, Simon. He's, he's a, an interesting guy, trying to figure out who he is. He's a magician. He's well-known by the people because of the things he can do. He's a, he's a great man. But it's interesting, when the gospel comes in, what does it do? It changes his life. In fact, he says it, he accepts it, and he gets baptized. We'll look at this more a little bit maybe next week with our wonderful speaker next week who will come in and share a little bit more because that person will look at the end of this chapter, which will be fantastic. But it, it makes even the people who think they are something, which Simon was, he could do some amazing things. It doesn't tell us what, but he says he was a magician. So he could make you believe things that you never thought you could believe or see things that you never thought you could see. And, he, and, and even he was astounded and amazed at the gospel, at the good news. And he gave his life to it, is what it says here early on. Now, changes a little bit, and we'll look at that in a second. But early on, whatever mankind can offer, the gospel is greater. Let me ask you this. How's whatever you're doing, or how, how is that working for you? <laughs> how's your life working for you? Are you searching for answers? Simon was searching for answers, and the gospel came and gave him those answers. Verse 7, it says that when the gospel came in, evil left. <laughs> Talked about people being possessed by, by demons and, and whatnot, and they left with shrieks. And where the gospel is, evil cannot exist. Got that? Where the gospel is, it pushes evil out. Got that? What do our nations need? What are you, you're looking around and seeing our nation is just a mess on so many levels. And what's one of the words we use probably? Evil. <laughs> it's everywhere. Who takes the life of little kids, you know, in a school system? Evil. God says here, when the gospel comes in and it came into Samaria, that evil had to leave. You catch that? Fear the gospel. He also says here it has the power to heal in verse 7. The lame got to walk. Like it, it, it actually changed. It made things happen that we can't make happen. <sighs> when the gospel comes in, things happen that we didn't see happening. That we wish we could make happen but can't. And the gospel does that. Verse 8, it says this, it brings in great joy. I don't know about you, but I'm sure looking for this one. I'm getting close to 50, and I'm still looking for this one. I got married, and it gives me glimpses, and I'm still looking for this one. I have kids, <laughs> and, and I'm still looking for this one, although it gives me some great joy, but it's not long-lasting. It says here, when the gospel came in, they got great joy. Some of us are getting close to the eternity side. I'm getting more on that side, I realize. Aren't we glad for this hope that Jesus Christ says that I have given you forever and it's called eternity and it's eternity with me? There's so much here. Greater than the human best. Mentioned that kind of already. No matter what Simon could do, gospel is greater. And it prepares the way for the Holy Spirit. This one's kind of interesting. Um, if you look at the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit, God himself, who's promised to be with us when Jesus left. He said, I promise to give you another, and it's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever as a seal, Ephesians. So it reminds us that God is always here with us until the day where we're with him in heaven, okay? Um, 
in the book of Acts, it kind of tells us how the Holy Spirit kind of comes in. And if you remember in Acts chapter 1, they were believers. They loved God. They had the message of Christ, right? Jesus had given them the message. But in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit hadn't come down yet until Jesus left, so then he comes down. <laughs> then here we get, and so in Jerusalem, believers, Holy Spirit came. You need to believe the message, the gospel message. It comes first, and it makes way for the Holy Spirit. Here we are, a little farther gone, and why God does this, he's chosen to do it here. Um, Samaritans, gospel comes in, then the Holy Spirit follows, okay? In chapter 10, you'll see it again. Gospel comes in to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit will follow. But then after that, the Holy Spirit is where the gospel is, which is where we land today. So I wonder why God did this, other than it seems to be a normal method. Why would, the, why would God separate the Holy Spirit from, from the gospel message at times, and yet brings them together? I think one of the reasons here uh, is that he wanted a sense of unity. He wanted to bring in unity. He wanted to bring in the Jews in the gospel, and he said, okay, now I'm going to treat you the same. Samaritans, as they treated the Jews, here comes the Holy Spirit. You're together in this. Remember that. Gentiles, I'm going to bring you too. <laughs> We're going to bring you the gospel, and I'm going to do the same thing for you. I'm going to say, you guys are, remember, all on the same team. Stop fighting. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He, he, he breaks down the barriers because he says, We're all on the same team. We all need the same gospel. We all need the same spirit, and I'm going to bring you in together. That's my understanding so far. <laughs> Results. Don't forget about them. Look at them. There's so many of them here. But with all of that, then we actually have to look at what actually is this gospel that needs to be feared? I love the results. The results are so cool, but, and, and they motivate us, but what actually is this good news? It's, it's interesting here. Um, he says it several times, this gospel he says, verse 4, preach the word. Uh, verse 5, proclaim the Messiah. Verse 12, proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, um, they went to Samaria and the Samaria had accepted the word of God. Verse 25, that the disciples had proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus. They preached the gospel. So what is this that they keep talking about? I was in Starbucks uh, drive-thru not that long ago. And uh, there's this thing that's been around. I don't know who started it. God bless them. But um, they call it pay it forward. So I'm in the Starbucks lineup uh, with my vehicle. And I get up there. And um, I think, you know what? I'm going to be nice to the person behind me. Uh, I'm going to pay it forward. In other words, I will pay for theirs. And the only reason I figured this one out and thought I'd be nice that day is because the person in front of me just paid for mine. <laughs> I, it's sometimes, you know, there's a, they're right there. There's a sign of sin. Right there, I need help to be nice to someone else. <laughs> so as I'm in line, I'm like, okay, that's cool. You know, my order is five bucks. You know, that was great. You know, someone else paid for that. So it's, and so I said, hey, I, I'm going to pay it forward. And, and the, the gal, she looks at me and she says, before you make that decision, I kid you not, do you know how much theirs is? Have you ever been in my spot? <laughs> what went through your head? What did you think? What did you say? Mm. So I said, <laughs> I said, okay, how much is the next one? <laughs> Mine was $5. Next one was 30 What did I do? What do you think I did? What would you have done? Think about this for a second. What would you have done? Or maybe what did you do? 
Of course I paid it. My wife was working that day. She was making the money so I could pay it. Wow. It's two apologies. I'll Karen now. Um, I did pay it. God provides. Um, what I needed to pay that Starbucks was motivation. That's what I needed. I know the taste would be good. I know the results would be good. Someone may say thank you, and that might motivate me, even if I never saw them, and I can play that over and over in my head. Um, I'm grateful because the person in front of me paid for mine. Um, but what I need is motivation. And, and what God says here, he says, fear the gospel. Why should we fear the gospel? Because it is our motivation in life. Okay? The gospel is the motivation in life. It's what gave all of those, those results. So with our limited time and limited spot here, what is this motivation in life? What is this gospel? And it's going to be shared more next Sunday because you get a little clearer picture of it when, when he gets to share, Philip goes on and gets to share with the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, okay? And we got it in chapter 2 of Acts, so go look back at that. Chapter 4 of Acts, go look at that one. Chapter 6 and 7, last week, go look at that. It'll give you a clearer picture of what this is. This is the motivation. This is the guts. But what does he say here? Preach the word. Proclaim the Messiah. The Messiah here is the anointed one. In other words, it's the one chosen by God to be with you. And, and the Samaritans, because they were partly Jew, they were looking for the Messiah. And so Philip knew that, and so he uses this language. He says, you're looking for the one that God is going to send, aren't you? And they said, yes. And he said, here it is. It's coming in the person of Jesus Christ. The Messiah, the one who God has specifically picked, the one that is exactly for you. It's the one you need. It's your Savior, because he uses the word Jesus Christ here. It's your Savior, Jesus. He knows you need to be saved. It's the one who can save you. He loves to save. That's what Jesus is here. He loves to save. The angels announced this back at his birth. They said, who is this? And he says, I am Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the one who saves. But he also says it's Jesus Christ. It means he's Lord. It means he's, he finishes the work. He's the one who actually can save. And that's the message that, he, that Philip was saying to this group, that the disciples were saying. He, and he says to us, you need that? Do you need to be saved today? I'm, I'm in the business of saving. Let's do this together. I'm the only one who can save you. Come to me. But I want us to notice that these are God's words. These are God's words. And we think about that for a second. I think I have it. I might have a verse here. Verse Romans 1.16 says this. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There's power in these words. The one who gives it to us is all-powerful. Think about this. In Genesis chapter 1, do you know how God created the heavens and the earth? Do you know how God created you and I? Do you know how God created everything we see? He spoke it. God's words are powerful. When the gospel is shared, they're God's words. They are powerful because of the one behind it. That's why it was shared, and that's why we get all those results. It is the God who gives you and us those words, and it is God who will speak through those words. So we share the gospel. We live the gospel. Don't forget this. These words are God's dynamite for breaking down sin's barriers and setting us prisoners free. 
But also this, God's words are about life. I've spent many, many times trying to figure out how do I actually say the gospel? What are the actual words? I don't know if you wrestle with this. And it's not easy. It's hard and it's kind of messy, but I've broken it down into these kind of four words. It's God's words about life. This is the gospel. This is why it's so relevant to us. This is why it impacts everyone. Because God speaks to life when he speaks the words of the good news, he says. And the first word in there is God. God, in the gospel, when we relate it, and he relates it to us, says, just remember, I created you. I am God. I created you, and when I created you and everything around you, I said that I love you. (laughs) I said that I, 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 you're beautiful and you're wonderful. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 1, he says that I created you and I created you to make choices. That's how valuable you are. But then comes me, or us. And so with my choice, what I've found myself doing and what Adam did early on, which entered sin into this world, he said, I want, and Eve, sorry, both Adam and Eve, I want to be in charge of my life. That's what Adam and Eve said. God said, I've created you. I know everything about you. I know what you need. And Adam and Eve come along and said, yep, that's nice. I want to be the one who does that. I want to be in charge of my life. I want to be, this is what they're saying, this is what I say following sin. I want to be God. I am God. That's what I'm saying. That's what Adam and Eve said. And so God said, okay, I've given you the ability to choose. That's your choice. You get the results. So God gave Adam and Eve their wish. God gives me my wish. God gives us our wish and our choice. And we've made it. And all the results that come with it. So let us ask that. How are the results coming? (laughs) Because we're not God. Right? We're not God. And yet, you know how we know sin is alive and well sometimes? Because we fight so hard to be God. We want to be able to make that choice. We want to make the right choice. You know what, folks? I love my wife, but I can't even love her the right way sometimes. (laughs) No matter how hard I try, even if I know what's right, I can't. I don't do the right thing. I don't even ask her. I try to love her without asking her. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, Todd, that doesn't fly. You need to do this with me. Or, Todd, why don't you talk more with me? You don't talk enough with me. Actually, it's the opposite in our house. It'd be me saying to Karen, why don't you talk with me, Karen? Why? You know, because that's what love really is. If you know my wife, you know that's, that's awesome. But that's what God said here. He says, I'm going to hand you over to your choices. And if that's the choice you want, then that's what you're going to get. You know, what's interesting here is I'm looking at this list of results. I wonder what the opposite of the results that we get with the gospel are. Stephen gave his life for the gospel. You know what? It had purpose. He actually had, knew that he could be with the Father after he gave his life. If we got no gospel, what's the use of that life? What's our security for an afterlife, after death? What is it? What can you and I do about it? What about Saul being persecuted for others? <laughs> it, <sighs> Hatred is alive and well because of sin. 
What about believers sharing the gospel, the good news, wherever they went? If you got no gospel, what do you have? You got no hope. What about sharing with new cultures? We got no unity. We got selfish cultures. Look around us. Look at our own lives. That's what's there. We have selfish individuals. <laughs> We're not equal. I, I want to treat you like, like I'm the lead and you can fit into my box. That's how we operate. That's sin. That's the choices we've made. And you know that because you and I both do this all the time. I have kids. They're supposed to grow up and live their own lives, not what I think they should be doing. But I am supposed to be there for them when I can. But I need to encourage them to be them. But no, I want them to live my rules, my way. Oh. What about conquering evil? We don't conquer evil in our own way. We think we might a little bit. We get more evil. <laughs> What about has the power to heal? When's the last time you were able to heal somebody? I can put a band-aid on, but <laughs> I'm not, I don't do very well. So much there. I wanted life with me in charge. And God says, okay, here you go. And so he says, I know you can't, so I'm going to bring in Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to fill you guys in on Jesus Christ a ton, because next week you'll get more of that. But Christ came to bring us back to God. Christ came to restore us with God being in charge and put our rightful place under his authority. That's the gospel. And, 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 and then we get a response. In other words, we get a second shot. We get a second chance. And that's what Philip brought to these people. He says, I want to tell you about this amazing God, which you know a little bit about, but I want to share more. I want to tell you how, I want to ask you, how's that working with life for you? <laughs> this thing called sin and the responsibility and the consequences and what a mess we've made. And he said, I want to tell you about this Jesus Christ and what he's done to bring us back to God. And he says, and I want to give you a second chance because that's what the gospel does. So what are you going to do with that second chance? That's what Philip said, and that's what he says to us today. What are you going to do with that second chance? And they said, we're taking it. <laughs> See that? And we get the results. And what happens when you take that second chance? So the question is to us, what choice are we going to make? You know, it's, it's interesting, even murderous Saul, who went out of his way to try and eradicate the gospel, this is what he says after he met the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that even uh, he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The worst of the worst became amazingly the most humble and probably one of the most impactful believers we'll ever read about. Because that's what the gospel does. So what? Fear the gospel. Fear the gospel. So let's finish with this. So what do I fear? Okay, we're great talking about Jesus. <laughs> great talking about what the gospel can do. 
So now it's our time here. Here we go. What is it I fear? What's in the way? What's my wall? What am I having a hard time overcoming? What is it I don't want to hand over to Jesus? What is it? And he gives us two examples here. The first one he says, is it, per, is it persecution? You know, this one would get my attention. When you read this passage, what stands out in chapter 8? I don't know about you, but when I first read it, I'm like, oh, persecution. <laughs> oh, pain. Oh, suffering. Oh, I don't want that. Oh, I'm going to hide in my bubble. <laughs> oh, Lord, take it away from me. That's my first thought. Is that your first thought? Are you feeling persecuted? Persecution is not the focus of chapter 8. God and His good news is the focus of chapter 8. God used persecution to serve His means of spreading His good news. You notice that? That's what He did. That's what persecution did. <laughs> God said, okay, you're going to make that happen? It's going to work for me. He wasn't caught off guard at all. For God and those who give their lives to Him through Jesus Christ, persecution is a means to spreading salvation and hope. You catch that? God uses our challenges to spread the hope that comes in the gospel. Hear the gospel. The gospel will not be stopped. Hear the gospel. Let it lead you. <laughs> Maybe that ties into the second one here. I think power. Our need for power. What do we fear? Is it, one of the fears we have is we want to control. <laughs> How many here want to control? You don't have to raise your hand, but thank you for those of you who did. <laughs> we all want to control. Sure we do. What do we get mad at when we're not in control? It doesn't go our way. It's interesting. They give us an example of Simon here, and he seemed like a believer of Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus. But what he really wanted, it came to light later on. This guy was even baptized. He said, absolutely, I'm following you, Jesus. Now, just so you know, you're not perfect when you get baptized, okay? <laughs> so don't let that stop you from being baptized. It's just simply a step of following Jesus Christ and a public step in that one. But now things start coming out. So he's baptized, and he's like, okay, oh, the Holy Spirit has come. Magic things are happening, things with power. I like power. I like control. I want a part of this action. So here we go, and this is what he does. <laughs> he wants control. In fact, he thought he could buy it because <laughs> that's what he was used to doing. He wanted to be someone great. He wanted power. He once was powerful, and now he wanted it again. And perhaps maybe he wanted two things. He wanted for God to be great, and he wanted for himself to be great. I can see that here. That, is, that, is that us? You know, we, 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 we want to be humble before God. We love God, so we want Him to be great. But you know what? We want control there too. We want to, 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 to take our situations and know where we're going. And so we want to be great. And um, what does Peter say to this? Verse 20 to 23, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right with God. In other words, only one person gets the, the power. And it's God. It's not you. Because you know how you worked out. And he says this, so repent, ask God for forgiveness, and give him back the control. Maybe that's us today. If we're asking for control, if we're wanting to take it, God says, let me have the control. But I need you to repent. I need you to know that it was wrong. I need you to hand it back. 
I need you to ask me for forgiveness. I'm sorry, Lord, it is yours to have, not mine. I'm giving it back to you. And then actually hand it back. What's in our way? Is it persecution? Is it power? Sadly, um, or the, have the example here is Simon could not give it back. You see his response. He couldn't give it back. Hmm. Let me finish with this. Um, I met a gal, probably in her 30s at the time when I met her. Her name was Anne. When I met her, she was um, just a, a jovial individual. Um, met her in a church. She uh, had shaved her head completely except for like one little patch of hair right on the top of her head. And, and that patch of hair, because I used to sit behind her at church all the time, was probably about three feet long. I'm like, who are you? Um, she, uh, she was a divorced lady, had two girls, two daughters. Um, her ex-husband had verbally abused her for years. Just a hard life. And in fact, after I'd known her a little bit, her, and her husband was a quadriplegic, and so she took care of him, um, which is also very hard. Her husband was killed in a car accident, tragic, while we were there. She went every day to, uh, to the, uh, the court case because it was a drunk driver. S spent every time with her own family during this time and with the driver's family. As I got to know her, she had a rough exterior. She was loud. She had a hard life. She had made mistakes. You know what she did for a job? She was a dog groomer. It was awesome. She was good at it. Um, she often struggled to make ends meet, but she tried her best. I officiated a wedding in this same church, and it was a young couple. Um, the fellow was super nice, but he had struggled for years with drugs and alcohol, and it was hard on his body. His uh, wife that he got married to, she was a beautiful soul who one day, uh, this is previous to her getting married, one day woke up clinically depressed. She used to be a, a legal assistant, had a great job. One day she woke up clinically depressed, couldn't leave the house, couldn't leave her bed. Why do these things happen? You know, evil exists. <laughs> Anyways, they found each other and, and they got married and, and, and we, I officiated their wedding and it was great. And, and two years later, they actually had a child. I, I, I didn't know they could. Um, we were told medical evidence said, no, they can't, because we knew that there would be a struggle and they knew it would be. God blessed them with the child. Um... They couldn't handle the child after like two months. We were trying to figure out as a church, how do we help? Anne came into my office, I was pastoring at that time, and said, Todd, God is calling me, I think God is calling me to come in and help this couple with their son. In fact, I don't have much. Um, I barely have enough for my family. But this boy needs a chance. This boy needs a home. 
This boy needs a shot at life. He needs to be cared for. And you know what, Todd? And Anne said, Jesus will take care of it all. <laughs> I'm thinking, are you, are, you, are you for real? She took that little boy in. I think his name was Caleb. She cared for the boy like her own. She had two teenage daughters. <laughs> her, her days of, think about this. I don't know, have you, any of you adopted or taken in a, a child after, you know, your youngest is now 15? Now she's back to poopy diapers. <laughs> now she's back to constant feedings. Now she's back to um, all the challenges that come with being a parent of, a, of an infant. And she's back to all that. And why? Why? Because the gospel had broken into her heart and you feared the gospel. She had a great relationship with the parents. They would come for visits and leave. And, and she, she held on to Caleb as if it's her own, but she released Caleb because it was not her own. About three years into that, two years into that relationship, um, Caleb's dad passed away suddenly. No dad. Um, a year later than that, uh, mom went into a coma. Mom passed away. No mom. Anne is now fully on her own. Um, I think Caleb actually graduated this past year from high school. Anne made sure that the boy was cared for like her own. Anne was impacted, is impacted by the gospel. What a blessing. A woman whose heart was so deeply pierced by the deep, relentless, sacrificial love of Jesus that she had to express it to another soul that God had brought to her to meet needs. Fear the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for being gracious. Thank you for being Lord. Thank you for leading. Thank you for the and dones in our lives. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for the ands in our church, this church family. But Lord, above all, I thank you for your good news. It's your good news that let Anne be Anne and what she did. It's your good news that gives us hope. It's your good news that shows all those results. And maybe some of us are looking for some of those results today that we read, Lord. Lord, I, grant us that good news results. <laughs> but Father, we don't live on the results. We live on the good news. We live on you, Jesus Christ, your relationship with us, which is the good news forever. Lord, I don't know what we're all dealing with here. But Father, I pray that your good news, Jesus, is greater, and we see it greater, and we need you to show it to us greater than anything else we see and deal with here. Because, man, we sure need the hope that you give. In Jesus' name we pray. Where life was given where there is no life to us, in, G in your name we pray.